It's an act of faith to go, I don't know what the results are going to be. I don't have control over the person that I've wronged, how they're going to respond or react. I don't have control over the consequences. All I have control over in this moment is what I do with my sin in bringing it to the light. That's a faith act to do that. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he's able to redeem in ways that you may not be able to see? In this moment, do you believe that he can do what he says he'll do? Do you believe that the resurrection's true? That out of death comes life? Um, that's the choice before you in these moments of confession. Um, and God is faithful, and he will redeem. And there is life on the other side. But you've got to die. You know, and confession is, is an act of death. You're listening to The Chopping a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Well, good morning, Brett. Good morning. Spring break week. Did the Arkansas Razorbacks make it into the tournament? They did. They did. You can pray for my marriage because if they win in the first round, they'll most likely play KU. And uh, my wife and I would face a great challenge. So just FYI for all those prayer warriors out there. Little house divided moment. Mm-hmm. Who do you have in the first round? Illinois. That's an interesting matchup. It is. We could, we could spend the next 20 minutes talking about that. <laughs> Let's just turn this into a college basketball <laughs> podcast this week. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Much more important matters to, to get yeah. to. So yesterday, Andy Herman, our director of the Neighborhood Fellowship, uh, preached for us in our 1030 gathering. I thought he did a great job yeah. unpacking the text for us. Um, and I'm always encouraged. It's just so good. It's good for me to sit under the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's good for our church to just get a diversity of voices and to hear hear the word preached from different mouths and perspectives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, super grateful for him stepping in and um, and doing a great job and was not given an easy task. No. And he had a difficult text as we've continued this series in the life of David, uh, tackling Second Samuel 11, which is really David's spiral into sin. Yeah. And cover up, uh, it's a tough text. Um, so shout out to Andy Herman. Yeah. Um, great job. Um, but yeah, there's a lot here, a lot to unpack. Um, were there particular points either from the text or from his sermon yesterday that jumped jumped out to you that was maybe a, a new thought for you or that triggered uh, your brain into curiosity yeah i mean i don't know that it's a new thought necessarily because it is one that i've wrestled with or thought about before but you know he kind of opened his sermon with this idea of david's complacency in the first couple of verses essentially the text tells us that that this was the time of year when when kings went out to war um and david's army is out at war doing battle but David's not. David's at the chilling at the palace, hanging out, um, doing what 
kings do, I guess, when 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 they're at the palace and uh and he 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 mentioned just his complacency because this idea that, you know, really David has lived a life of being on the run from Saul, uh then finally seeing himself uh, ascend the throne, consolidating power, building up Jerusalem. So he's at the height of his life right now in this moment. Yep. And instead of being where he's supposed to be with his men and with his army, he is, yeah, just hanging out at the palace, uh, maybe choosing a life of ease for a little bit. Yep. And, man, Andy kind of gave us a, how, how dangerous of a place that is for us. And, and I, I feel that, you know. Whether it's the spiritual camp high you talk about when you're in high school, college, whatever, or it's just you know uh, life feels good at the moment, so I'm 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 good. I don't really I don't really need God right now. I don't really need to lean into the habits or disciplines that Andy brought up yesterday, and I just recognize that's a really dangerous spot for me to be in. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was a great word. Um, I think one of the things I'm just struggle to discern. I'd love to get your thoughts on is just how do we, how do we differentiate between being able to enjoy a good season of life? Yeah. You know, I think that's a different thing than, than complacency. Yeah. Um, how do we, how do we differentiate between those two where it's like, is there a way to enjoy a good season? Yeah. Uh, to take a deep breath, to rest, to relax. Um, Versus when do we cross into danger um, of becoming too complacent? Does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, there's a, probably a lot we could say there. I think, I think first of all, for me, it's, it's really just a perspective and a heart posture. Like, you know, he, he really gets to pride at the end of his sermon. Like if, if pride is accompanying that lot, that, that moment or season of of just good and it really becomes about me then i'm probably in a dangerous place mm. if that season of good and enjoyment is really focused on the lord enjoying that time with him and enjoying it with with people with my wife with my family with friends like if it's outward focused um and 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 if it's done with gratitude like I know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So like this season is from the Lord and I enjoy it with him. I recognize that. Like if that's, if that's my posture, I'm probably in a good place. If it's hey, Brett, Brett's doing pretty well right now and Brett deserves a rest. Brett deserves mm. good food. Brett deserves good drink, whatever it might be. Uh, I'm probably in a dangerous place. Yeah. I think that's a good word. There's a, there's a way of resting and recreating that's actually worship. You know, that, that that's an aspect of our worship, and we enjoy these things as unto the Lord. Yeah. But we haven't lost sight of, of God in those things, mm-hmm. um, and he's still central. And there's a way of making those things ultimate, where my rest becomes ultimate, my recreation becomes ultimate. And when that when that's the case, then we've really centered ourselves in place of God. We've maybe lost sight of God. Yeah. We're in we're in danger then I think. So I think worship's one, one framework or lens to look through. I think another is just dependency that even in my rest, I'm still depending on God. Um, And I think David kind of got self-reliant. Yeah. You know, I think he, he just, 
it seems like he lost sight of the bigger picture of his calling as king, of his need for God, and he just found himself just kind of going through life uh, almost in this uh, agnostic sort of way. Um, It's interesting. One of the things that came out in my reading was that uh, God's not even mentioned in chapter 11. Mm. And I think the narrator does that intentionally. He's just absent. David is front and center. God is absent. God's not really absent, but in David's perspective, he is. Right. Well, and then kind of from his complacency and um, just not being where he's supposed to be, he finds himself in a situation where he's tempted. And, you know, I appreciated Andy's use of the the verse in James that that uh, when desire, how's it go? Uh, when desire is uh, conceived, it gives birth to sin yes. and sin leads to death. Yeah. yeah. I think you see that here with David, right? He sees a married woman who's not his wife. Um, and, you know, you, my mind immediately harkens back to Genesis 3 and Eve saw the fruit that it was that was delightful to the eyes. It was good for eating. You know, that's that's kind of what precedes sin and temptation. Like he sees something that, you know, was attractive to his eyes and and desire was was born and he followed through on that in a really sinful, corrupt way. Um and, you know, this is a hard scene. We're 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 taught to revere David in, in a lot of ways and we see a man from a place of the most powerful position in the, in, in the kingdom and really uh, take advantage of that power in some, in, in a lot of ways. And I just don't know, like, you know, how do we reconcile some of this? And maybe the word's not reconcile, but how do we think through this and, and what should we take away from it as we see David from really a place of, 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 the highest place in his life, maybe to the greatest fall in his life with taking advantage of a married woman Mm. who really didn't have the option to say no to the king. Right. And Andy Uh, did a good job of bringing that out, like just the power dynamic and the victimization of Bathsheba. She Mm -hmm. was exploited. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I thought he did a good job there. It's interesting thinking back to how David was differentiated from Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, you know, the people of God wanted a king, quote, like the nations. Well, the problem with the pagan kings was that they exploited power, right. um, that they used their authority to amass wealth and wives. And and when God is establishing the monarchy for Israel, what he keeps saying is, don't be like the nations. Mm-hmm. You're actually to be like a prince of Yahweh. You're to serve under his rulership. So you're not to amass wives. You're not to amass wealth. And David was chosen as a man after God's own heart because he was, he had that sort of integrity mm-hmm. and that sort of humility. And, and yet here he is falling into the same trap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, we've heard it said before that power corrupts. And I think this is one of those moments where David's power and authority got to him. Mm-hmm. it's a dangerous place for our flesh. Um, and if we become complacent, it's no surprise that David kind of fell into that trap. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, I think Andy did a great job of of saying, you know, there's there's a reality where 
all of us need to see our capability to be David. And at times we've all been David in some ways in this story, and we'll talk about that more. But I think it was good to note that, like, for some of us in this room, uh, you know, you may really identify with Bathsheba and being sinned against or evil being done upon you, as we know that happens uh, all the time in our society. And we for sure have people that have probably experienced that in, in, in a number of different ways in our church. I mean, what's a word for just the person who maybe is suffering in silence of they have trauma in their past uh, and maybe no one knows or maybe they're they're suffering in shame. What's just a word for that person as they listen to us today? And I think one thing is just to say that you're seen. Like Bathsheba is named in this story. Mm-hmm. She's seen in this story. Um it's remarkable that her name reappears later in the genealogy of Jesus. Um, and so um, God is actually going to use Bathsheba specifically in the story of redemption. So hers is a name of redemption. Um, and I think that's a word for for those who have suffered sexual abuse, yeah. or who have suffered exploitation to go, God sees you. Um, God knows your name. And... And he can thread your story into his grand story of redemption the same way he does with Bathsheba. Um, but also I also think I, I think it's important, I, and I, 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 I was glad that Andy did it, to kind of give an aside and to go, hey, we want our church to be a place right. where if this is your story, where you feel safe to bring that forward and bring that into the light. We've kind of been living in a moment of me too. And, and then there's been the church Too movement where Mm -hmm. I think the Houston Chronicle kind of um, made a list of over 500 uh, ministers who had been guilty of sexual abuse within the, within the church, within the Southern Baptist convention. And uh, we're living in this moment where, um, we're taking some steps forward to say, hey, we've got to address these abuses and these ills. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I'll just tell you, Brett, it it concerns me, and it's a it's a strong conviction of mine that City Life Church is a is a place where it's safe mm-hmm. um, for those who have been victimized mm-hmm. to voice uh, the you know the truth of what's happened and to feel safe doing that, knowing that there are pastors and leaders who are going to listen and take it seriously and do everything they can to investigate and to bring justice in that situation. Uh, We cannot be a church, must not be a church that buries that. Right. And that hides that and that runs from that out of fear or out of protection for the wrong person. Yeah. And we need God's help to make all that happen. And we need his protection and his wisdom and his discernment. So, Lord, help us. Um, Well, the other part of the story is David, really. Uh, David's sin. And, you know, we none of us want to identify with that. Because that's, it's hard. We're talking about adultery and murder and lying and misuse of power. We're talking about serious, serious, explicit, visible sense. And none of us really want to identify with that. But I did think that Andy's 
comment from from the Sermon on the Mount was really powerful mm-hmm. when saying, Jesus says, you know, in, in, in the sermon, essentially, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you're even angry with your brother or sister, you know, you've committed murder in your heart. Yep. Right? And then you've heard it said, if anyone... You shall uh, not commit adultery. Yeah, shall not commit adultery, but if anyone even looks on a woman right. with lustful intent, they've committed adultery in their heart. And so Jesus really levels the playing field and says, no, 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 it's not just those who have ex- have explicitly taken part in these sins in some physical capacity. It's actually those who have taken part in these sins in their hearts or minds that are just as guilty. Yeah. We're, we're, we're sinners not of a different nature, right. perhaps only of a different degree. Right. Um and even this idea of like God's restraining grace, mm. that maybe what's kept us back from that is we just haven't had the same level of authority and power that David did. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we we might have gone to that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that we're really no different in nature. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a powerful moment to, to see that. And it's a hard thing to agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a powerful thing to agree with that. And... To say there, but for the grace of God, go I. Yeah. Um, I'm just as capable yeah. um, of, of falling into that, you know, sort of sin, that the severity yeah. of, of David's sin. But, but the reality is, is all of us at some level have had a moment where we've fallen into some sin, we've done something, and then we've immediately regretted it or had some remorse and we've thought, I can't be honest about this. I have to cover it up. Yep. And so you see David doing that with Uriah here, trying to get essentially trying to get Uriah to lay with his wife, right? Because Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And so it's like somehow I've got to make Uriah think he's the daddy. Right. Okay. Yep. And then, you know, when that doesn't happen because Uriah honestly operates with the integrity that David should have here by saying, no, 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 I'm supposed to be with the men. That's of one war. of the interesting creases of this narrative. Yeah, is Uriah's integrity and David's lack of it. Mm-hmm. So because of that, you know, David's plan's not working. So ultimately, he resorts to killing this man by plan, order. Plan A didn't work. Got to go to Plan B. Um, and you, you see the de- destruction of sin. Yeah. Like one one thing I've told kids in youth ministry for long is like sin breeds in the darkness. When yeah. you leave it in the dark, it breeds. It it grows, and this is what we see happening with David. And, and the the only eject button was just honesty. Yeah, to come clean would have it would have cut it off right there. Right, and it didn't have to go any further. And it still would have been the sin of you know exploiting Bathsheba. It didn't have to be the sin of murder. Mm-hmm. But he he had to bring it into the light and call it what it was. And he was just in this death spiral. You know, he became desperate. Yeah. Um, that's a dangerous place to be yeah. in your sin. You're desperately trying to cover it up. And I think there's some reality here. Like, wh- why? Why do we try to cover up things when we, when we sin, when we find ourselves in a in a situation of our own doing? Why do we try to cover up? You, you know, David. I think there are lots of different reasons. We can't completely speculate on David's reasons, but I, one of those would be like just. Uh, you know, he's trying to protect an image. Right. I mean, here's the man after God's own heart, and he just messed up. 
and he's trying to protect an image here. He can't let it be known that he's, you know, slept with another man's wife. I mean, that's one of the big ten. You know, that's he's violated yeah. one of the one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, he's so. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons. Just image, image control. We're trying to protect our image. Um, you know, fear of the consequences and right. the fallout. The irony is, he makes it worse by trying to cover up. He actually ends up experiencing more and worse consequences yeah. than if he would have just come clean. I mean, I don't know, maybe you can think of others, uh, but those are a couple that come to my mind. No, I think that's really good. But I think we can, I mean, I think the point here is that we can all relate to this. You know, you can think back to the time you accidentally broke the vase in your house as a kid and you tried to glue it back together or you tried to pin it on your brother or sister or you tried to do whatever, like it just spirals, right? And that's really a silly example, but that's how it begins for us. And I'm sure at this moment, there are people listening to this or listen to the sermon who at this point are covering up sin in their life. Uh, whether it's deleting browser histories, private tabs, whether it's having uh, different bank accounts or whatever it might be to cover over sin. And it may, and it may not be as even, uh, you know, as, uh, as some of what that sounds like, but but there's freedom. Zach read for us Psalm 32 yesterday in the in the service in one of my favorite psalms. There's freedom. There's 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 blessedness in admitting our sin yep. and being honest. No man, you know his mercies are new every morning, mm-hmm. and I think we struggle to believe that. We struggle to believe that the gospel is true. And and I've had I've had situations in counseling couples where, um, I mean, I've had multiple where the husband was caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost, in almost every occasion, the initial impulse of the husband who's caught in sin is to minimize mm-hmm. and to not fully come clean. And so they're kind of, halfway confessing and him hawing around and blame shifting and uh, it's not as bad as it seems and I'll just stop him and go hey man there is so much hope for this relationship if you can get to a place of full disclosure Mm -hmm. and you can have the humility to own your junk and to bring it forward in full confession before God and your wife. There's a ton of hope in that. But if you're going to continue to play the blame game, you know, and this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Adam, did you eat the fruit? Well, this wife you gave me Mm -hmm. gave it to me. I mean, it goes all the way back to the Garden. If you're going to play that game, there's not a whole lot of hope here. Man, there is so much freedom. And, and and even it's an act of faith to go, I don't know what the results are going to be. I don't have control over the person that I've wronged, how they're going to respond or react. I don't have control over the consequences. All I have control over in this moment is what I do with my sin in bringing it to the light. That's a faith act to yeah. do that. Do you believe that God is good? Yeah. Do you believe that he's able to redeem in ways that you may not be able to see? 
in this moment? Do you believe that he can do what he says he'll do? Do you believe that the resurrection's true? That out of death comes life? Um, that's the choice before you in these moments of confession. Um, and God is faithful, mm. and he will redeem. Amen. And there is life on the other side. Yeah. But you've got to die. You know, and confession is is an act of death. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think maybe just a final thought. We'll, we'll see how the Lord meets David uh, in his sin next week. But, you know, Andy kind of ended with how uh, both David's and Bathsheba's, the thing that ultimately controls them often is shame. Mm-hmm. You know, shame keeps David from confessing, and shame keeps Bathsheba from uh, being open and honest about what's happened to her, you know, potentially in the future. And that, that's the same thing for us. Those who have maybe uh, are spiraling in a sin cycle, it's shame that keeps us hidden in the darkness so often. And those who have experienced great trauma in the past, finding healing, uh, shame keeps them from seeking to find healing there. And so, you know, I think he ended with the cross. And like Jesus meets both the Davids of the worlds and the Bathshebas of the world. And I think we just need to be reminded of that today. You know, I really appreciate your word about Bathsheba that God sees you, uh, and 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 you know, maybe the offensive part of the gospel, but the true part of the gospel is that He sees the Davids of the world too, yeah. and 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 He meets both. Well, the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, you're not defined by the worst things you've done mm-hmm. or the worst things that have been done to you. Yeah. That Jesus actually liberates you from either of those mm-hmm. or both of those um, and gives you a new name and a new identity in his righteousness, yeah. in his perfect obedience, um, in his purity. And that's, that's really good news no matter where you find yourself this morning. Yeah. Thanks God. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you.